Hey friends, welcome to my podcast, Straight Talk with Salim. I believe the word of God is truly the lamp unto our feet and a guiding light for our path. And a majority of the church neglects this guiding light because it's too difficult to comprehend. Well, God has given me a hunger to study the Bible and a passion to share it with you. My friends, if we don't understand the word, how can we apply it to our lives and actually live in obedience to Jesus? So join me now as we walk through God's word and learn the essentials of living a Christ-centered life. Welcome back to Straight Talk with Salim, week 12 of this Revelation series. The journey continues and man, things are heating up. I can't believe it's it's been 12 episodes and, and from the looks of it, we're only about halfway through the series. I mean, so much to digest. And last week we, we walked through Revelation 12 and I believe it, it really has set us up for this week. And today we walk through Revelation 13 and we meet the accomplices of this uh, dragon from Revelation 12, who is Satan. I mean, the beast that rises up out of the sea, we got the, the beast that comes up out of the earth. We see the mark of this beast that many will take. We see this number 666, which is the number of the beast. And what does all this mean? And today we're, we're going to go through all of this. We're going to try to figure it out. And I want to state, as I always do, I do not claim that my interpretation is the only interpretation. Again, this is my interpretation as I have spent time studying this book. This podcast is only meant um, to provoke you, to inspire you to go deeper in God's word. And this chapter is the chapter that it causes an uproar in, in the church. And what I see in the church is division over the interpretation of this chapter. And let me remind you, my interpretation of this chapter does not affect my salvation. Your interpretation of this chapter does not affect your salvation. The gospel is primary. And the rest is secondary. So I want to clearly state that I'm not saying that my interpretation is the right one. I'll admit if, if, that I may, not, I may not be right. And I'm, willing, you know, I'm not willing to die on this hill over this. I'm just trying to lead and I'm, I'm trying to edify the body through my time in the word. And so before anyone goes throwing stones or you know, being critical, you, you know, ask yourself, what, what are you doing to further the kingdom? What are you doing to build up the church? What are you doing to inspire others um, to, to follow Christ? That's the challenge. So with that out of the way, let's, let's dive right in. Let's remember that the book of Revelation is apocalyptic in its literature, which means it uses a lot of signs and symbols. I mean, the imagery used is meant to provoke something in us that regular words will not. And in this chapter, we see this apocalyptic, uh, apocalyptic imagery on display. Listen to this quote by Daryl Johnson. Imagery has the power to hook us deep inside. Images can quickly and effectively convey that which we struggle to put into words. Imagery goes beyond the intellect and through the emotions into the imagination, grabbing hold of us at the deepest recesses of our being. Imagery goes beyond the intellect and through the emotions into the imagination, informing the intellect and igniting the emotions. And I believe this imagery used in Revelation is not all the way literal, but it's meant to, it's meant to wake us up. Wake us up to what? Well, first and foremost, God is giving us the wake-up call to what is going on in this world. We have been talking about the spiritual war that is currently going on and has been and, and will be until the end of age when Jesus comes to end all of this. I mean, we read about this spiritual war in Ephesians 6. I mean, what do you think Paul was talking about when he said, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So the Bible is commanding us to stand firm, to endure, to withstand, to last, to, you know, to run the race. And how can we stand firm and endure and withstand and last and, and finish that race if we don't even know we're in a battle? And what I've seen in, in, in Revelation is this picture of this cosmic war we are in. And that's the thing, like th- this walking through Revelation has not opened up my understanding of who the Antichrist is or will be or what the mark of the beast is or you know who the beasts are, or who the dragon is or who the whore of Babylon is or what nation is, you know, is whatever. It, it's opened up my eyes to the spiritual war that we are in. And it's woken me, woken me up to, to, to get in this fight, to get involved. And so what I want to challenge you with is as you've followed this, this series, if you've taken nothing else and you, you get that, I, I, I will be thankful. I will be praising the Lord that, that anyone would, would, would listen to this series and they would, they would get that we are in a war and we must wake up and we must fight. And so I want to encourage you to do that. And I pray that, that you guys are starting to see this after all, almost 12 episodes. We must see it. So I, I, I urge you to, to listen closely today because I believe Revelation 13 gives us a clear picture of just what we are dealing with. And, and when you look around at what's going on in our world, we see culture and society shifting in a direction that looks eerily sim- similar to, to what we're going to read today. And sadly, the masses don't even see it. I mean, it's insane how many times my wife and I look at each other and we say, how does the world not see what's going on? It's like the world, the masses just have a veil over their face. Well, simply put, the masses don't open the book. The masses don't know Jesus. The masses aren't clued in. And so they walk on the wide road that leads to destruction. You know, that nicely paved highway. You know, the two roads that Jesus talked about, the narrow road, the wide road. Well, you got the wide road over here, real slick, looking pretty, looking like the, the strip at Vegas. And it leads to what? Well, Jesus said it leads to destruction. It leads to death. And it, it's pretty terrifying if you ask me. And I want nothing to do with that road. I want to remind you all again that Revelation is not linear, meaning that this book isn't meant um, to be read chronologically. It's a series of windows. And window one was the throne room of God. From, from Revelation 4 and 5. So we got Christ on the throne. And remember, that that's ultimate reality. I mean, right now, God is on the throne. Even as the world crumbles. You know, the world is on fire, but, but he is on the throne and is the least bit phased by any of the stuff that's going on. He's not confused. He's not questioning anything. He's not anxious. God is in control. Window 2 was a series of trumpet blasts from Revelation 8 through 8 through 11. Where, where God is calling the world to repentance. And now we're in this interlude, almost like the pause between the acts of the play. And it's in this interlude between the trumpets and the bowls. And in this interlude, as I mentioned, God is helping us understand our enemy and how our enemy works. 
This is important, so don't miss this. And let's remember last week, you know, Revelation 12, 17, it says in the dragon, who, who you and I know now, it's Satan, was angry at the woman and the rest of her children, who we know now is the people of God, all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony for Jesus. So the text clearly says Satan is mad as heck that we would stand for Jesus and obey him. And now he wants to make war against us. Satan is making war against the people of God, those who follow Christ. Yesterday, today, tomorrow, this will be the case. And this is the cosmic battle. This is what is happening behind the curtain as we speak. But do, do we see it this way? No, unfortunately we don't. Why? Well, I've said it already. People aren't clued in. People aren't thinking like this. Most people are thinking that we're, we're living in Candyland and life is all unicorns and rainbows. News flash. It is not. And the enemy is kicking us square in the teeth and it's time that we open our eyes and we get in this war. We must understand that the spiritual war looks different on the ground in physical reality. I mean, if we could peel back the curtain and see in the spiritual realm, we would be absolutely terrified of what's going on. Evil versus good. I mean, th there is a reason we don't see it because our minds couldn't comprehend it. And with that being said, we must address this elephant in the room. We must stop avoiding this reality. And the sooner we do, the, honestly, the more peace we would have. So without focusing on all these crazy things mentioned in Revelation so far, let's just zero in on one main point for now. This is a very real enemy seeking to steal, to kill, and destroy the human race. And his goal is clear. He wants your soul. And he'll do anything to get it. And what God wants to help you understand is our enemy and how he works. I mean, God is, is basically saying, hey guys, listen up. I'm giving you what you need to know. I'm giving you a winning strategy. So we have already addressed the, the, the dragon, who we, we know is Satan, who is out to destroy God's faithful. So those of, those of us who are following Jesus, this means Satan is after you and will do anything to destroy you. And what does this mean? I mean, does this mean that the little guy in the red suit with the horns and the pitchfork is coming after you in the middle of the night? No, the dragon does not do this directly, but he calls out to beast. He calls out to monsters to help him. And these monsters, along with the dragon, form an unholy trinity that mimics the actual trinity of the triune God of the universe. Satan seeks to be God, but he is obviously a counterfeit version. And all he does is plagiarize God. And here's the issue. Many of God's children can't see this because they don't know God well enough to decipher. Why? Well, because they're spending too much time immersed in the world to know God. They're spending too much time being lulled to sleep and distracted by all the noise. And after this episode, I think, I think things are going to be much clearer. And the best way I see to unpack Revelation 13 is to look at it in two sections. In this chapter, we have two beasts that we want to identify. And let's look at the first one. Let's read Revelation 13, 1 through 10. And it says, And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea with ten horns, seven heads with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like bears, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it... the the dragon gave his power and his throne and his great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast and they worshiped the dragon for he had given his authority to the beast and they worshiped the beast saying, who is like the beast? 
Who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over to every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life, the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And if anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and the faithful and the faith of the saints. So we have clearly stated here that the, the dragon in Revelation 12 is Satan. But who are these beasts? I mean, who are these, these monsters that he's using to destroy the children of God? I mean, here we see the, the beast rising up out of the sea. I mean, we quickly notice that this is the same description of the beast Daniel wrote about in Daniel 7. The beast in Daniel 7 represents the nations that ruled over the known world. Babylon, Persia, the Greeks. So what Revelation speaks of here is nothing new. This is the same beast. The people reading this in 96 AD after John wrote it would have recognized this. And to the readers in John's day, this beast would have clearly been Rome. And it is clear that the beast from the sea is enemy number one. And this is the beast I want you all to see. And it, it is the state. It, it is governments. It is human kingdoms that have rejected the living God from the center of their lives. But it's not only Egypt. It's not only Babylon and Persia and Rome, but it's any modern day ruling human kingdom, i.e. China, Russia, the U.S., or any nation that has rejected the living God from the center of their lives. And I believe every nation on earth has rejected God from the center of their lives. So this is the first beast from Revelation, and clearly this, this beast is symbolic of the state. John is trying to show us here that when, when a nation sets out to be their own master, they, they turn into a tool of Satan. And power that is no longer exercised under God seeks to play God. And John is clearly highlighting for us that nations, states, governments, they become more demonic. And these things are part of how the dragon um, wages war against the people of God. So what are these 10 horns and seven heads and 10 diadems? Well, briefly, let's touch on this. This is not exactly like the dragon of Revelation 12, but it's, it's very similar. This beast is, is, a, is different than the dragon. Simply put, the ten horns speak of complete power. The seven heads represent a perfect manifestation of evil. And the ten diadems are, are a claim to royalty. I mean, evil is often a counterfeit of good. I mean, this is the first of, of several parodies of Christ. In, in other words, this beast has complete earthly power and is only allowed by God and is perfectly evil and tries to claim a throne. As we mentioned before, this combination of several beasts is, a, is another allusion um, to Daniel 7, where it refers to a series of kings. But here, the symbolism has been changed into a composite of, of all the anti-God world systems personified in one leader or one system. I mean, isn't there a push for, for one world government? I mean, don't we hear about this one world currency and one world religion? I mean, it's hard not to think of, of a one world system that could be forming as we speak. I mean, you tell me that, that our current administration, you know, that their behavior and the way that they're leading 
uh, doesn't give us a feeling of, of uh, this is, is going on as we speak behind the scenes. I mean, and then you also, you know, you factor in, we, we hear of this supposed new world order that is apparent conspiracy. I mean, it makes you wonder, right? No, this is also a, a parallel to second Thessalonians two, nine, which speaks of um, a satanically inspired power. The beast is not Satan, but, but a supernaturally empowered manifestation or incarnation of him. So this first section, this first 10 verses, man, it's full of parodies. As I mentioned before, it, it's a parody of Christ. It, it's a parody of, of Jesus's death and resurrection. I mean, does Satan have the ability to resurrect anyone or anything? Or is this just trickery? Is this deception? Is it mimicking? I mean, Satan is trying to deceive the world by, by mimicking the power of God when, when God raised Jesus from the dead. I mean, Satan, would he, he's, he'll use miracles to convince the unbelieving world to follow him, which is another parody of, of Christ. I mean, it's this simple. I mean, this just symbolizes deception and trickery that will cause the masses to fall away. We got to remember how counterfeit Satan is. He is a pathetic version. And the only way we will know how pathetic he is will be to stare at the face of Jesus and truly know him. Because when we do, we spot this all day long. I mean, this is why it's important to study the character of God, because when you do, you will see this deception from a mile away. It won't be as hard to spot. We must remember that evil desires not only political power, but religious worship. Satan wants our worship. He wants to be like God. Implicitly, this, this is related to the, to the serpent's lie in Genesis 3, when, when Satan told Eve to go against God. And again in Matthew 4 and Luke 4, when Satan told Jesus to bow down and worship him. Guys, Satan's number one goal is the worship of God's creation. And notice what it says here, because it tells you the end game. They worship the dragon who is Satan for giving the beast who I believe is a state such power. And they also worship the beast saying, who is as great as this beast? Who is able to fight against him? Guys, this is important to know. And it helps to see what, uh, when this is happening. The purpose of the beast is, is not merely the exercise of political power. That, that's not the end game. The objective, and hear me, is to capture the loyalties of men and women and divert them away from the worship of God. Hear me when I say this, the beast wants your loyalty and wants you to take your eyes off of God, period. The way the, 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 this beast fights us is not by throwing us into jail. It's not by killing us. It's, it simply wants us to worship the state. Satan wants to pull our loyalty away from Jesus and put it on something that cannot help or ultimately save us. This is the game, my friends. This is what he does. And he's so good at it. He has the world so fooled. And I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. Right or left, you, you have been fooled. And I've been saying this and I truly believe this. The right is, is, is right to a point and then they serve the dragon. The left is right to a point and then they serve the dragon. Guys, our government serves the dragon. All governments serve the dragon, period. And we've all been fooled. 
I have, you have, we all have been fooled and it's time that we wake up. And how do I know many have been fooled? Well, first of all, do you, do you think Satan is going to come directly at you? I mean, you think you're, you're, you're going to expect his attacks? Guys, the enemy doesn't work this way. He is way more deceiving than you can even imagine. He's called the great deceiver in the Bible for a reason. He knows the scriptures better than you. I mean, everything he says is going to sound right. I mean, for God's sakes, look at 2020. Look at how much division he caused. How many pastors and prophets and church leaders given the responsibility of pointing you to Jesus were actually pointing you to the state. This is the beast and we must um, be discretionary of where we put our hope. We have to be careful, not cynical, but careful. I'm not saying you got to be outside, you know, thinking that Satan's lurking around every corner and every conspiracy and everything you hear is like, oh my gosh, like the world's coming to an end. Don't be cynical, but be careful. This is why I try to stay away from the crowd that spends their existence trying to, to point out every elite, you know, elite person who has an agenda. You know, Bill Gates is trying to depopulate the earth. You know, the Democrats are trying to destroy America. Hollywood celebrities, they're, they're killing babies and drinking their blood, adrenochrome, all that stuff. Like, I mean, it, some of this may be true. All of it may be true. But let's be honest here. What does following all this noise do for you? I mean, it brings fear. It distracts. It causes anxiety and anger and mistrust and paranoia. All of this essentially takes your eyes off of Christ. And Satan uses this to deter you from spending time with Jesus. And this is, is exactly what Satan wants. And how do we fight against this? I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we stare at the throne of God, the one that I've been telling you about. Stare at that. Stare at ultimate reality. Get your eyes off of this and put your eyes on that. Now, how about this time frame of 42 months? Well, I mean, many have a lot to say about this. For me, simply, this is a direct allusion to, to Daniel 7, verse 25. It was first mentioned in Revelation 11. It's a metaphor which denotes a period of persecution. To me, this is just symbolic of a period of persecution. That's it. We do not understand all, all that is behind this, but it's obvious from the book of Revelation that God is in control of all history. This war on his saints is mentioned in Daniel 7. I mean, it refers to the physical death of God's people. Yes, as I've mentioned, we will experience persecution. We will experience tribulation. We will even experience death. I mean, there's a time when, when the enemy seems to be the victor. But Revelation and Daniel teach that the victory is short-lived. And as I mentioned, it's clear that God's people are protected from the wrath of God, but we're not protected from the wrath of the beast. We're not protected from the wrath of his followers. God allows evil um, and apparent victory in order to reveal its true intentions, to, to reveal its nature. So that we go through hardships and we go through trials, we have confidence knowing that we are secure and we know the end of the story. I mean, how often do we feel like Satan's winning? Like evil's always winning out. I mean, we look around and we wonder, when's God just going to come and put an end to all this? Yes, this is a picture of, of this, but we must stand firm knowing that Jesus has already won the battle. And so who, who is this text referring to when it says, all who dwell on earth? I mean, this is a re recurrent phrase referring to unbelievers in Revelation. All who worship the beast, all who wear the mark. And yes, it clearly states they will follow this beast and are used to make war against the church. 
So guys, don't be surprised when, when people come against you and they attack you and they revile you and try to kill you for your commitment to Christ. It comes with the territory. But, but what is God saying here at the end of this section of this passage? First, to Christians, he's saying he, he, he wants to encourage us to remain faithful and to trust him because vindication is coming and vengeance is his. Second, to the persecutors, he wants to assure them that they will one day be accountable before God for their choices and their actions. Judgment and wrath is coming and it's eternal. And God's saying to his followers, man, we must endure and we, we must fight. So how do we fight? Well, Jesus is clear in Revelation 13, 10. He says God's people must endure persecution patiently and remain faithful. He doesn't say fight the way the world fights. He doesn't say fight with knives and guns and fists. He said patient endurance. He said faithfulness. That's what he commands. And what does this look like? And what do our weapons look like? Well, first, a serious, a serious pursuit of holiness. I'm talking hating sin and, and loving righteousness. I'm talking about violence against sin. We must murder sin daily. I'm talking about, um, you know, just, just hating sin to a point where we, we just long. We just long for righteousness. It should bother you. Sin should bother us, guys. It's very important that we, you know, that we know this. And we don't fight these beasts by studying these beasts. I mean, so many people spend so much time studying, you know, what's going on in, 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 in history right now. Like, instead of knowing the real thing, instead of opening the scriptures and in, 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 in studying the king of all kings. And the way that, that you and I stand firm and spot the activities uh, of these beasts, the, the state and, and the, the, this, this false prophet or these false prophets is to look at Jesus, who is the real thing, and you're going to be able to spot counterfeits. Guys, this is how we're going to stand firm. We know the real thing so well, we'll be able to spot a fake from a mile away. I mean, those who will survive this, they know the real thing so well that They'll know the nature, they'll, they'll, they'll know the beauty, the character, the majesty of Jesus so well that when they, they look at all of this, they'll be able to say, that's a pathetic substitute for the real thing. And the problem is, is, is most don't know the real thing as well. Most don't know Jesus because they're too busy getting carried away with political affiliations and, and the drama and the division and the noise. Too busy on social media, following fakes and wondering why you live in a state of fear. You're busy being sucked into to the noise of, of politics and the 24-7 coverage of, of, of all of that in the media. And you wonder why your hope is being sucked out of you, why you're just exhausted. It's all because, it's all because you're allowing the distraction and this, this warfare that is demonic to, to, to lull you in and, and, and mislead you. And you're just, you're falling for that. Why? Well, because you don't know Jesus that well. I mean, some of you know more about the left wing and the right wing than you do about Jesus. But my friends, newsflash, right wing, left wing, they're, they're two wings of the same fallen angel. I mean, you can say what you want about it. I, I don't, 
I don't care who you support. Both parties are evil and are, are, are both working for the dragon. Both parties are sixes. Republican ideology is right to a point, but then they, they, they go serve the dragon. You know, democratic ideology is, is right to a point, and then they, they go serve the dragon. And some of you know more about your pastor and his life than you do Jesus. I mean, the Bible says there are many who will come in the name of the Lord, but will be deceivers. Yes, there are many pastors who are serving the dragon. You may hate that I'm, I'm saying this, but it's true. And I hate that you don't see this. And if the church of Jesus Christ in this nation doesn't repent, it won't be long before this place burns to the ground. Followers of Jesus, we, we must wake up and we must live as victors. And I'm constantly urging you to abide in Christ. Some of you don't listen. And now I'm, I'm, I'm warning you, you must open this book that contains all that Jesus said and feed off of it daily or else you're not going to survive what's coming. You won't spot the fakes. Friends, it's time we get serious. We can't wait until tomorrow. Starts now. Guys, this is the first beast. The beast that rises up out of the sea. So wrapping up this section, simply put, it seems to me that the first beast is a personification of an anti-God political system that will ultimately control and push the world to bow to its narrative. I mean, check out the current temperature in the world and you tell me if you don't feel like this is a foreshadow of, of what's to come. When is this coming? I, I don't know. I mean, that's not for me to predict. My responsibility is to stay diligent, to prepare by following and knowing Jesus, and to keep myself ready for his return. So let's look at the second beast. Let's read Revelation 13, 11 through 18. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image of the beast for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast. So the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand of the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of, of a man, and his number is 666. So here we have the second beast. And before we look at this beast, let's keep in mind that the dragon and the two beasts are, as I mentioned, a parody of the Trinity. They represent the unholy Trinity. Satan as a parody of the God the Father, the sea beast as a parody of God the Son, and the land beast, this beast we're about to talk about, as a parody of God the Spirit. And it's important to continue to remind ourselves of how pathetic Satan and his minions are. How they want to be God so bad that they'll do anything to be worshipped. And they just plagiarize God, period. So just like the first beast, the second beast is a symbol of evil and chaos as well as rebellion in God's created order. Notice that this beast has two horns like a lamb and it speaks like a dragon. The reference to a lamb is another obvious parody of Christ. But his voice and his message, it reveals his true character. And later in Revelation, the second beast is, is referred to as a false prophet. 
And this false prophet does not seek glory for himself, but he recruits the world to worship the first beast. He points people to worship and bow to the first beast. And this is the parody of the work of the Holy Spirit in promoting Christ. And I want to point out that the state isn't the only way the enemy seeks to destroy the children of God. We have this beast in this passage. And for the sake of time, I'll just briefly touch on this because it's very important as well. We see here this beast that comes out of the earth. In Revelation 16, 19, and 20, this beast is known as the false prophet. If the, if the beast from the sea is dragon-manipulated political power, and this beast from the earth is dragon-manipulated religious power and institutions, to me, this, this beast from the earth is going to be much more deceptive um, to the church. And why do I say that? Well, hear me out on this. We all can see what the government's doing, but it's not as clear to see what's going on in the church. I mean, there, there's a ton of religious de uh, deception. And this, this spirit of the Antichrist is currently running rampant in the religious institution. I mean, just understand this. True prophets, they, they lead people to the worship of, of the living God. Keep this part simple. True prophets of the almighty God lead people to worship the living God. False prophets, especially this one, leads people to worship uh, the state, the first beast. So think about this for example. I mean, look at the current Pope. And by no means am I saying he's the antichrist. I'm not trying to put down Catholicism. Please don't hear that. Uh, what I'm saying is, is, is the Pope is sure doing some things that are sketchy. I mean, he sure is is compromising a little bit, right? I mean, he's holding hands with, uh, with, 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 with the superpowers of the world. I mean, he's, you know, allowing you know ideals, anti God ideals, to sort of be to infiltrate the you know the church. I mean, doesn't the Bible condemn this? Doesn't the Bible call us to stand against culture? To stand against anti-God ideals, doesn't the, the Bible call us to, or command us um, to, to not compromise, <laughs> to stand firm, to not hold hands with the world? I mean, first John tells us, do, do not, I mean, hey, hanging out with the world, being friends with the world makes you what? Makes you an enemy of God. And here's the Pope, friends with everybody, all the religions except, you know, Islam accepts, you know, the Pope, Buddhists, you know, they accept the Pope. You know, every single world religion accepts the Pope. But I'll tell you what, every world religion, they don't accept Jesus. People, people hate Jesus, man. And I'm thinking this, Jesus is, is, he's the man, like literally the healer, the miracle worker, the way maker, the greatest human being of all time. And, and the world hates him. You tell me. So bottom line, this beast, this false prophet is advocating for you putting your hope in human means and institutions. That's all he does. He leads the world to believe that the state will save you and will save the generations to come. This beast, the false prophet, likes to encourage the compromise of culture. This beast may not be on the scene yet, but can't, can you see that the world is moving this way like super fast? 
Again, aren't, aren't we seeing this right now? I mean, how hard are we being pushed to compromise with the narrative of the state that completely goes against the God of the Bible? I mean, how, how muddy are the waters of Christianity right now? Is anyone preaching the true gospel? Not many. Why? Well, because biblical Christianity is not popular. In our current culture, it's racist. It's, it's bigotry. It's hate speech. So what many Christians are doing out of fear of rejection is giving into culture and falling for this deception. Everyone wants to be popular. Everyone wants to be safe. My friends, this is the second beast agenda, causing the world to, ne to negotiate or compromise. And, and many of you, a lot of you are falling right into this trap because you're ignorant. God, guys, God said it. My people are destroyed because of lack of knowledge. In other words, my people are destroyed because they fail to know me. They, they are too enamored with the shiny lights and the talking heads and their reputation and their comfort and their security and their bank accounts than to truly follow me. This is why Jesus said, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. Part of denying yourself is denying, uh, you know, the shiny lights, denying the reputation, denying your pride, denying your comfort and your security and your bank account and, you know, your desires. Notice this beast makes fire come down from heaven to earth. I mean, this is similar to Elijah in 1 Kings. I mean, it may refer to fire that fell as judgment uh, uh, in Ezekiel 38, in Ezekiel 39. It could be another parody of, of God's you know, Old Testament Acts or Pentecost in Acts 2. Either way, the main point is this. The enemy does his best to mimic God. I keep telling you guys this. Remember, he wants to be God so bad. This has always been his motive. And sadly, the majority will be deceived and will fall away. Guys, I want to point out that when we see miracles, miracles are not an automatic sign that it's from God. And again, this is another parody of Christ's ministry. The great miracle worker. Well, look, this fake is trying to, you know, lull everybody and deceive everyone and cause everyone to fall away with this stupid little, you know, miracles that he's going to perform. I mean, here's the deal. This false prophet is going to be responsible for it, for injecting life into this evil movement. In other words, championing the cause and, and leading the world astray and leading um, the slaughter of those who don't bow. And we see the beginnings of this now. Christians being demonized for standing against culture. I mean, just think about that for a minute. Just open your eyes right now. As a Christian, I mean, don't you feel like all eyes are on you? You're like afraid to tell anybody anything because you're like, man, they're going to think I'm crazy. Like I didn't get the vaccine. Oh my gosh, what's going to happen? I'm going to be, you know, who, who, you know, I'm so wrong. I can't even like make a decision for my family, for, for my own body, for my own future. I got to let the government make my decision. Get out of here with that. that that's craziness, right? So we move on to the mark of the beast. I mean, this man right here is the controversial topic. So what is the mark of the beast? You know what? I don't know. And I'm not going to stress out trying to figure it out. I mean, what I think we should know is Satan is crafty. He's deceptive, like way more deceptive than you and I give him credit for. And if you think he's going to use this vaccine or a chip or or your phone, or whatever else. I mean, gosh, I would have to say you're probably fooled by that. I mean, gosh, don't we wish it was that easy? I, I know this for a fact. 
It will not be in plain sight. It's it's going to take a little bit of, you know, figuring out. It's going to take wisdom. I mean, you know, can you can you imagine from the highest place in government, we're told, if you don't do X, you will not be able to buy or sell anything. I mean, don't you think most of us would be like, wait a minute, the scripture said that. Like, okay, this is it. This is the mark. I mean, how, how are any of us really going to be deceived by that? Guys, we won't. I mean, that, that would be in plain sight. And, and we know the scriptures plainly tell us, and trust me when I tell you, the enemy isn't coming in plain sight. The Bible says wisdom is needed here to discern. The Bible says that many will fall away. Even the elect are going to have trouble with this. So why do you think John is warning of, uh, us of this here in Revelation 13? He says wisdom is needed here. Let one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast. Don't miss this. Wisdom, which comes from God, will be needed to solve the meaning of this number. That number? Well, we all know this number is 666. This is the number that is mentioned in Revelation. It's a symbol. It's not a code to be cracked. So here's where I'm going with this. We know that the number seven means perfection or completeness biblically. In six, six falls what? It falls short. Therefore, six is what? It's not complete. It's incomplete. So remember what I said earlier that the best the beast can do is mimic this holy God. He is counterfeit. So this beast is a pathetic attempt at trying to be God. So, so why six, six, six? Why three sixes? Because the number three is also a number for completeness in the Bible. So when I see the number 666, I believe it's symbolic for Satan being completely incomplete. And I believe it is this number that represents the unholy trinity. It's a symbol, period. And will we be, will we be branded with this number or this symbol? I mean, I have to say no. I don't believe that. I mean, I don't believe we're going to be branded. I don't believe nothing's going to be implanted. I believe worshiping the dragon and his accomplices is the mark. I truly believe it's a person's allegiance to the God of this world. When the scriptures mention the hand and the forehead in the Old Testament, it's extremely significant. Remember in the Old Testament how the people of God would wear the law of God on their foreheads and on their wrists. And it was constantly looking at the law. It was about ideology. It was about action. So when we're talking about the mark of the beast, I believe we could be talking about, you know, internal character made manifest in behavior. So what's inward is shown outward. So what you believe, who you worship, is made manifest in your behavior. So I believe like at the end, it could be just, you know, me not bowing down to the God of this world. Me saying, no, I'm standing and I'm going to stand in the way that I live my life. The way, you know, I'm marked by the, by the God of the universe. I'm sealed with the Holy Spirit. So therefore, I cannot bow and take that mark. I can't have the mark of, of unholiness on me. I'm, I'm a child of God, right? So with that thought in mind, some of us could be living out the mark of the beast right now. You may have it on you right now. 
And again, I don't think it's some future branding or chip or vaccine or your phone. It could be you not being serious about holiness. It could be you holding hands with sin. It could be you not being serious about the kingdom. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. But I do know this. Jesus isn't going to chastise me for getting this wrong. I think he'll be pleased with me that I pushed all of you towards the pursuit of holiness. And I think if we could just focus on pursuing a righteous life when this day comes and political powers and religious powers begin to strong arm the world when they they force the world to bow, we're going to see it. We're going to notice it. We will be clued in. Why? Because when we pursue holiness, we study the character of God and we study the character of God. God instills in us the needed wisdom to thrive in this fallen world. So we pursue our life in Christ and the rest will fall into place. That's my answer to all these questions. Stare at at Jesus and pursue a life of holiness. So with all that being said, how many of you are in relentless pursuit of holiness? How many of you are chasing after the upright life? And be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. You ain't got to tell tell me. I I don't need to hear it. I've got my own struggles over here. So wrapping this up, simply put, it it seems to me that the second beast is a personification of of an anti-God religious system. So now we have covered the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. Both of these beasts are empowered by the dragon who is Satan. They get all their power from the dragon who wants to destroy God's people. Second beast's goal is to get people to worship the first beast. The second beast will use great signs, will create an image, and point uh, to the worship of the first beast that, that exercises demonic political power to control the people. The second beast makes it very difficult for those who don't bow down to the first beast. And it's very clear that, that we're moving toward, towards the, the great horror of, of, of chapter 17 that we will get to in the coming weeks, which to me is really the, the epitome of the final anti-God world system from, from Daniel 7. And whether it's ancient Babylon, first century Rome, or end time composite world kingdom, it shows that human history is moving toward the ultimate conflict between the God of this world and his minions versus the God of creation, his Messiah, which ends in complete destruction of Satan and his followers. And it won't even be close. Complete annihilation. God, God will destroy this, this, this unholy trinity with, in the blink of an eye and everyone who follows him. So I end with a few questions. First, why does all this matter? Well, the problem I see and the burden I feel is this. I believe with all my heart that far too many Christians have allowed politics to become an idol in their lives. There's so many indicators that this is the case. I mean, have you ever noticed on social media how so many Christians are clearly more interested in in talking about politics than they are the gospel or, or making disciples? I mean, I would also want to point out that the anxiety and the anger and despair that Christians express Regarding politics shows that their hope is is not in a God who's in control and has already won the day. Their hope is in the state. Their hope is in the beast and they don't even know it. For some, it may not be the state. For some, it may be religious institution or the false prophets that are running rampant. I mentioned those celebrity pastors earlier. You know more about your pastors than you do Jesus. God, they're everywhere and it's only going to get worse. Remember, the final Antichrist will come in in this form and cause many to fall away. And what we see happening today is just a taste of what is to come. And the church is already failing miserably. I mean, the amount of Christians that are being led astray because of of man is frightening. 
And I think that this episode should cause Christians to consider their obsession with the state and false prophets. All Christians need to seriously evaluate if their life is more marked by politics or the gospel of Jesus. Is your, is your life more marked by your celebrity pastor or Jesus? Second, how do we fight as, as people of God? We don't fight the way the world fights. Faithful endurance is how we fight. We can get hyped for a minute and be ready to fight the battle, but what? how, how are we going to last with, with just getting hype? I mean, adrenaline ain't going to last. Church once a week ain't going to last. Like, you know, getting on TikTok for discipleship, that ain't going to help you last in this fight. Guys, we've got to be violent towards our own sin. We must kill our sin. We must bring our secret sins out into the light. Constant repentance. We must confess our sins all the time. Our sin keeps us in bondage. And when you come out, you're fighting and declaring war against the dragon. See, darkness loses its power in the light. Guys, it's going to cost you, you, you um, everything. But, but guys, freedom? Freedom costs. Guys, we've got to put all sin, small and big, to death. Your sin is trying to destroy you, and it will if you let it. And as I keep telling you, we need a serious pursuit of holiness. We must hate sin and love righteousness. Tim Chester said it best. The difference between the person who grows in holiness and the one who doesn't is not a matter of personality. It's not a matter of upbringing or gifting. The difference is what each has planted in the soil of his or her heart and soul. So holiness isn't a mysterious spiritual state that only the elite few can reach. It's more than an emotion or a resolution or an event. Holiness is a harvest. Friends, I love that. Holiness is a harvest. So I ask you, what seeds are you dropping into your, to your soul? Third, how do we cultivate a life of holiness? Number one, ongoing confession and repentance. I've already told y'all to confess and repent. Number two, we must spend time with God, real time. So how are you spending your time? I mean, guys, how lazy can we be? I mean, how many of us say we don't have time, but we spend all of our time watching Netflix, Prime Video, you know, the next reality TV show. Got to get the games, got to watch, you know, Got to get on Instagram. Got to get got to get here, go there. I got to go to the gym. I got to work on my fitness. But ain't got no time for the Lord. Remember, whatever you fill your mind with sinks down into your heart and your heart is what leads your choices. This is why we must be careful with what we're feeding our minds and our hearts and our souls. Number three, we must have men and women in our lives that hold us accountable. So who's holding you accountable? Who are you surrounding yourself with to push you to spiritual greatness and also to guard you? Who's flanking you? Who's in the front, the back, the side? Who's calling you out? <laughs> Having hard conversations, asking you the hard questions. I got brothers in my life that call me, hey, how you treating your wife? And I'm like, uh, 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 actually terrible. I, I've been terrible. What, you know, what if I called your wife right now? What would she say? I'm thinking I got friends that would call my wife and be like, how's Slim doing? That's what you need in your life. Number four, we must pray and fast and worship. How are we doing with fixing our attention on God? Guys, we must worship him, recognize he is there all the time and everything in your life should be about him. Remember, everything revolves around Jesus. And lastly, we must practice hospitality. And we're not talking about entertainment. We're talking about doing life with people and building a real community. 
Guys, hospitality looks like this. Matthew 5, 43 through 47, Jesus said it best. Biblical hospitality is welcoming the stranger. And we're immersed in stranger danger. Guys, we hide from people. I mean, we come home and, man, we're so quick to put that put that garage door down. We don't want to go out and get the trash can. We'll get it in the middle of the night because we don't want to talk to Bob across the street. Meanwhile, Bob might be over there. It might be a divine appointment. And Jesus might be calling you to walk over to your mailbox and say hello to Bob. Ask Bob how he's doing. Hey, Bob, how can I pray for you? Hey, Bob, you know, you want to grab dinner? You want to come over for a glass of wine and talk about life? Let me share my testimony with you. Guys, we're so inundated with information that we are terrified to talk to people. And Jesus is calling us to welcome strangers and enemies and love them. Guys, the reason I'm bringing all this up and sounding the alarm as much as it stings is I want to see massive repentance in the church as well as outside the church. We all need to wake up to this reality that we're currently living in. Things are changing radically and, and the dragon, he's not hiding himself anymore. He's in plain sight. And everybody can say I'm crazy. People can say my, my interpretation of this chapter is wrong, but I don't care. The writing is on the wall. And if, if we don't open our eyes to these truths and get serious about these things, we're in deep trouble. So I encourage you now to just go pray. I encourage you to go ask the Lord to show you. Then take some time and just go be with Jesus. My friends, this is all for this week's episode of, of Straight Talk with Celine. Tune in next week for episode 13. I mean, where do we even go after all of this? I mean, this was some hard stuff to unpack and now, now it's time to digest it. It's not going to be easy. But come back next week because we're about to find out what's next. Revelation 14 gives us some much needed promises after the last few crazy weeks. And I'm just thankful I don't have to say the word beast anymore. Because if I say beast one more time, I mean, I sound like Mike Tyson, beef, all the beefs. Like I'm like, I've talked too much, but I appreciate you hanging with me. So tune in next week as we jump in to see what, uh, what, what this, this chapter 14 is all about. Until next time, guys, take care. My friends, thank you so much for joining me on this week's episode of Straight Talk with Salim. Remember that I love you with the love of Christ and I implore you to just passionately pursue Jesus with everything you have.